Hello, welcome to Ben and Brand See a Movie, the show where we see movies. Branson is not here this week, uh, but with me this week is my good friend and friend of the show, Chris Harris. Yeah, fam. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, I'm really excited. We are talking the movie Sinister, which is 2012, directed by Scott Derrickson. And the reason we're doing this movie is because tonight we're recording this on Thursday. He will be releasing The Black Phone tonight, which is the new horror film with Ethan Hawke. It's been getting rave reviews. It showed at CinemaCon. Uh, it's supposedly just Ethan Hawke is terrifying. I saw the trailer. He looks terrifying in it. He does it. look terrifying in it. Yeah. 100%. And so, yeah, we're talking Sinister today. So that's the plan. I'm really excited. Uh, and we're about to kick it off. Uh, I just have a question for you. you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in this movie, Ethan Hawke, I would say he's a 10. Like a 10, what do you mean? Like a 10, like hot wise. Oh, okay. All right. But he moves you into a murder house. Yeah, it's true. And then he like, you know, writes a book and then he ends up getting killed. Just yeah. just out of curiosity. Uh-huh. Does that lower the rating? The rating of... His hotness. Is he still a 10? Oh, yeah, he's still 10. Okay, I agree. Absolutely. Agree. 100%. Perfect. Maybe a 9 at like the least. Yeah, like you know? maybe as the axe is going right in your throat. Yeah. You're just like... Let's lower it a little he, bit. He looks good in that movie. And the thing is, like, to see him in that Moon Knight show now, he looks a lot different. He does. He looks, like, much older. He looks much older now. But with that all said, we're going to jump into the show. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Ben and Brian See a Movie. All right. Welcome back. This is Ben and Brian See a Movie. Chris Harris is with me. We're mm-hmm. talking the movie Sinister. Uh, I'm very excited to talk this movie. But before we get into it, mm-hmm. I think it would be a failure of us to mention that there is a NBA draft going on in the next four hours. Very. very I got excited. my Sacramento Kings shirt. I don't. Well, I should have. I should have. It's my blocked shirt, behind yeah. me. I'll move. I got my here. Ooh. You can hold Hito. Hito. I'll hold uh, oh, Doug. Hito. So we got our we got our guys. <laughs> got our guys right here. There it is. We're very excited. I mean, I th- we should probably bring the bobbleheads over tonight for good yeah, luck. Yeah, we have to. We'll have a couple. Too. Yeah. So we'll we'll bring out the whole squad. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what is there to say except the fact that this is one of the craziest drafts in years because there is no clear number one and number two. There's no the clear, past- There's no clear number one, number two. Um, and any of the top four guys that get drafted all could be superstars. Like yeah. Any of them. I mean, usually, I mean, there's no Zion this year. Mm-hmm. There's no Zion. I wouldn't even say there's like a sure thing, like a jaw this year where it's just like, no, I don't think so. I think everyone in the top four to five has the potential. And there's also question yeah. marks. I mean, we're hearing the things with, uh, what's his name? Uh, the, uh, the guy who's supposed to go number one, the Chet. big Chet. We're hearing things. He's not reporting his medical records, which yeah, is no. just like, are there's you a lot of him. There, this is, there is a ton of smoke. There's a ton of smoke screen in this like draft right here. Yeah. And I was telling Josh, I would not be shocked if we saw a crazy big blockbuster trade. It's happened on maybe three or four of the last five drafts. There's been a huge trade on draft night. The biggest one that I can remember that happened was the uh, Jimmy Butler one. Yeah. Getting traded, I think, to the Timberwolves, right? As we got traded from the Bulls mm. traded to the Timberwolves. That was a huge random draft night trade that, like, literally nobody knew uh, or nobody saw coming. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, if I... I think it's on the table. I think that could happen with Kyrie tonight. It could. It could. Kyrie. I'm not saying it will. Well, because so it are we in could. agreement that Kyrie's not playing in the Knicks again? Or on the Nets. On the Nets. Sorry, the Nets. 
Um, I think he I would is lean, not. I would lean like 60, 40, 60 towards he's not, 40% towards he might. Um, but it sounds like the front office doesn't want him. It doesn't want him, but here's the issue. Like, I agree. I don't think he's playing. Yeah. How do you deal with the Durant issue of it? I mean, because Durant, mm, it sounds like he is vocal that he will not play for the Nets if Kyrie gets traded. Yeah. Which is just like, do I, you take that risk and just say, you know, we have you under contract, Durant, suck it up, and we'll waste your... Because that's what I would do. If I was a front office, I would say... Kyrie is not going to win us anything. He is too unreliable. Mm-hmm. Let's we will keep you under the, contract, and if we have to waste your prime years, we'll waste your prime years. I think like when Durant's talking about that too, I think it's kind of bullshit because like I think it is too. if you think about it, like Kyrie is. I don't think of him as a superstar. I think of him as an all star in my opinion. Like right now in his career, I think he's he's really good. I don't think he's the top five player in the NBA. I think we can I agree think, on that. I think he is the number two player on a winning team. Yeah. I would like sure. if he, on a championship team, if you told me Kyrie was the number two, um, I would say that's a yeah. really good shot. So, but like the thing is that if you're, they're trading John Morant or sorry, trading uh, Kyrie Irving, the odds are that you're probably going to get a really, really good player, if not multiple really good players back. So why would Kevin Durant, we pissed at that. If maybe Kyrie's his friend, but it's like, also, you could still win a championship. You know what it is? It's because he's not LeBron. LeBron can kind of dictate who mm-hmm. he wants to play with. Oh, and KD wants to do that. He yeah, wants it to I think he guy. wants to have that type of power that LeBron has. But I the issue that. is LeBron's just like, in every moment of his career, has brought in like the championships. Durant, you Durant, listen, he, had to, I, go, he I, had to go to another team to get him. He I, was that guy they brought I want to hate on Durant. I want to do it. He's won two NBA uh MVPs for finals like mm-hmm. I get it there's I I every argument I make against him I'm just I am yeah. kind of doing the skip Bayless like he's not a top 10 of all time like I get it I totally it, it, get it's it. a good point though because like if you think about it KD is that guy that uh, that the Warriors brought over KD wasn't the guy bringing people over I also, like he wasn't bringing Curry over you know there's a lack of alpha leadership with KD which is not in criticism on him that is he's, legit not a criticism he's, he's, he's not a LeBron vocal leader no he's not and he's definitely like more along lines of like a drama queen like how Kyrie is yeah. if you, know? you watch like his interview with Letterman you get a good mm. like perception of who KD is and he's a little bit more of a relaxed chill guy he doesn't like you don't like he's obviously very serious about the game he takes it very seriously but he's not like a Michael Jordan, like barking type. Yeah, he's not player. a dictator. He's, he's not a dictator kind of like a leader on a team. Yeah. And LeBron can be that. And like, he's not a Draymond even like where Draymond, that's mm-hmm. the issue Draymond and him had so much where Draymond is that guy. Draymond yeah. will bark at you yeah. when you're going south. He's not that guy. And I think the issue is LeBron can control a Kyrie, I think. Yeah, I think. I don't think KD can control a Kyrie. I wonder if like going to the Nets, like kind of skewed. Kevin Durant's like leadership style because like if he were to like say he were to go to like just go to some random team let's say it's like fucking who who cares it could be any random team let's just say he goes to the Pistons okay mm. so he goes to the Pistons he's immediately the best player on that team do you think like now that like he's alone he's not with another superstar he would be like a better leader because no. I think he would be no I don't think he I don't think leadership is Kyrie's thing uh, KD. Sorry, KD's thing. Mm-hmm. I think the team would be better because it has KD. Mm-hmm. Like, for sure, I do think that. I don't see a team being what they need. You know what's funny is, like, the situation KD needs to be in is something where he has, like, a guy next to him, like a butler. 
Yeah. A, he needs that alpha. Even, you know, what would have been a great situation if the team like was still around as they existed? The Raptors. So when like uh, Kyle Lowry was the guy. So, so let me, let me paint, let me, let me ask you if this is a reasonable comparison. Do you think like how you're saying that Katie needs another guy with him? Do you see him as like a Scottie Pippen? Cause remember when Michael Jordan left, Scottie Pippen was good and he was the best player on the team, but they weren't a championship team. I think Katie is still a level above a Scottie. I think the comparison but leadership style, leadership, leadership style. style might be, I think the thing is, Scottie's I, not think, very vocal. I think Katie can be that. Like, I think there is a chance that he could take more of a leadership role, but I, the issue is we've never seen it. Cause even when he's on OKC, Russell is the beating heart of that team. Mm-hmm. Like for all the criticisms Westbrook gets, yeah, he true. is a leader. He mm-hmm. is an alpha dog leader. He needs like someone like, and th- I don't think this would be a good pairing, but like a Dame Lillard, someone who like gets the respect of the team, commands the leadership, and, like and just closer. allows KD to just be that basically the silent killer. That's what he. That's why he works so well yeah. on the Warriors. I just like if KD is the vocal guy. I, I'm not saying like KD is not going to be the number one on any team. Mm-hmm. Whatever team KD is on. He's probably going to be the best player on that team. Yeah, I agree. I just don't think he's the best leader on any team he's going to be on. Yeah, definitely. I agree. With that all said, Mm -hmm. the draft's coming tonight. Are you convinced we are taking Jading Ivy at four? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of there. I'm pretty convinced unless last second the Kings make some calls and they go. Here's the thing. The only – I told Josh this earlier – the only way we're not taking Jaden Ivy is if Jaden Ivy gets picked in the top three and then the Kings – make a ton of calls and they go, Hey, Chet Holmgren fell to us at four or, uh, fucking, uh, Paolo. Paolo. I think Paolo. Is the and it's like, one. it's like what, like, uh, we're going to draft him unless you make your best offer right now. And the Kings trade that pick. They I agree. trade back. Like, I think to the Pacers. And or, I think it's reasonable. I think there is a chance. Jaden Ivan goes in the top three. Mm-hmm. I would still probably bet on us getting him. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. No, I was not. reading Kevin O'Connor from the Ringers uh, draft guide today. He has Jabari going number one. Yeah, I agree. I, so uh, I think Paulo, no, not Paulo, Chet going number two, and then Paulo going number three, us getting uh, Ivy. And then, but he's also, he also made the point of like, if a team believes in Jaden and Keegan Murray can be on the, like, is there. It wouldn't be crazy to yeah. think that the Kings go for a Keegan Murray type defense no, player. Uh, no, absolutely not. I think I think I am very very excited. Uh, you're gonna have to post like a TikTok or something after the draft of like our reactions or something. I know like, this is gonna be that's gonna be huge. I think it's I think this is one. gonna be the most watched NBA draft maybe in the last five years. Is my maybe Zion was probably the most watchable. The Zion draft. was just probably for the for, name. Yeah, I would say I would have to guess the Luca draft was pretty well watched. I mean, the fact that Luca fell to what did he go? But number- Luca, but nobody knew about him. He's like in, in he. In, I feel like amongst basketball fans, like the hardcore people who listen to podcasts, who listen to talk shows, like mm-hmm. all that. I think they knew Luca. Yeah, the, yeah. The I, casual fan does not have the attachment of a Zion Williams in March Madness. Yeah, I do think that this draft is going to be really, like, really heavily televised and watched around the world. I do think so. I think this is the arguably the most stacked first round of a draft in the past decade. And it's, arguably, it's crazy. This is probably the most important draft the Kings have had to oh, nail absolutely. in the past decade because obviously we make the mistake not drafting Luca. 
in I think, 2018. I think the Kings are on the tip of an iceberg right now, and we're about to decide. We're about to decide like what's about to happen right yeah, now. Yeah, because we're stay on it or going to fall off. Yeah, because it's we have Sabonis. We need to basically prove that Sabonis and Fox can be a winning combination. Not saying like championship, yeah. but playoff contenders. Yeah, and we have to prove that we made the right coaching choice, that we can draft well, that we can use, that we can do t- uh, player development well. Yeah, we There's need to lot. prove competence. It's a it's a franchise like it's a franchise thing. This this, is, this this draft is starting off to be. This feels like the most important draft of really probably since we got the Marcus. Yeah, since we had Marcus or Tyreek Evans, one of the yeah, two. it feels like that. But with that all said, so that's the NBA. Watch the draft tonight. Yeah, we'll be we'll be watching. Now we'll this be might be come watching. out after, but it will definitely be coming right. out after. Right. But you'll you'll, have you'll know who got picked, mm-hmm. so you'll see if we were right 100%. or wrong. Uh, but I'm really excited for it. Me too. With that all said, let's yeah. talk about the movie Sinister. Yeah, absolutely. And Chris, I always do the film historian for sure. it just Go to like it. break down what the context of this movie is. So Sinister is a 2012 American supernatural horror directed by Scott Derrickson. Now, Scott Derrickson went on to do films. uh, I believe his big film right after this is Doctor Strange in 2016. He doesn't get re-signed for Doctor Strange 2 due to scheduling and disagreements with Marvel Studios. Uh, But so he's recently, tonight, like I said, he will be premiering The Black Phone across theaters nationwide. And it's been getting really big reviews. But Scott Derrickson has been a guy working in Hollywood forever. He... His first huge film is probably uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. He has films before. He has a Hellraiser sequel that that goes to straight to DVD. But that's his first big one. He follows it up with The Day the Earth Stood Still, which is that Keanu Reeves movie. I've seen that one. My dad likes that movie. I I think I've seen it. I don't remember. I like that movie. My dad likes that a lot, too. I can't remember if I've seen it. But so anyway... 2012 comes out he has sinister and then 2014 he has deliver us from so he's done he's done quite a bit of horror or like he's a horror guy and that's why they originally hired him for doctor strange when they thought horror was going to be more the idea of doctor strange of course that's the sequel Mm -hmm. which is interesting that he doesn't get hired on for the sequel yeah which is a horror film yeah and like in what if too like it's like it's got that horror aspect of Doctor Strange, so yeah. So it's just like I'm, I'm kind of interested in the fact that like they gave him the Doctor Strange movie that wasn't necessarily a horror film, right. but regardless, he directs the film. It's written by C. Robert Cargill and Scott Derrickson. Robert Cargill is someone who's also just worked in the uh, Hollywood, specifically horror. He's doing uh, coming back for the Black Phone. This film comes out in 2012. Like I said, it's very much inspired by the ring. If you've seen the ring, you get, you see some of that same grainy uh, imagery in I've there. Never, with the I've never seen ring. the ring. I know of the movie. I know the premise. Yeah. So there's hmm. like the whole thing with the girl popping out of the TV, all that. Yeah. Like it's oh, that's, very that's similar. Ring? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film stars Ethan Hawke as Elliot. Uh, sorry. This film stars Ethan Hawke as Elson Oswald, who is a crime novelist who decides to move his family into a home where a grisly murder happened years before. He didn't tell his family that. He doesn't tell his family. Uh, The family ends up being hung, and he's investigating it, and he discovers that there's something sinister, Mm -hmm. as the movie uh, title describes, going on at this house. It's a great premise for a movie. Yeah, it also stars Juliet Rylance, Fred Thompson, James Rosnan, uh, Claire Foley, and Vincent D'Onofrio in an uncredited cameo yeah. as the professor. This film again comes out 
uh, at South by Southwest on March 10th, gets good reviews, makes its big debut uh, in October of 2012, right around Halloween, ends up grossing $90 million on a $3 million budget. So very wow. respectable. That makes sense. You know, the movie we can talk about later, but it seemed like a small budget. Yeah. This is Blumhouse. This is Blumhouse in its earlier days before they get like, so this is like the when they did it. Yeah. This is like when they're making their name kind of known in Hollywood. This is so, when James uh, Wan was like really getting going. Yeah. So I'm trying to look up what they're doing. So yeah, it's Blumhouse begins with paranormal activity in 2007, which remember that's a film that was made for $15,000. Yeah. $15,000. Biggest prop, probably the biggest profit and grossed ever over $200 million. That's ridiculous. Then it has insidious. Then it has sinister. Then it goes on to make, the Purge franchise, Paranormal Activities. And then, of course, it really takes a next level with Whiplash in 2014 when they direct that Blumhouse? or produce it. Plumhouse does that. Produced Whiplash? And then they do Get Out in 2017. Yeah. So they just become one of the biggest studios uh, working. They're a household horror name. Oh, studio. yeah. They're like, if you're a horror fan, you they know do, them. They didn't do Annabelle. Uh, the animal series? I no, that's James, Warner Brothers. I thought James Wan. James Wan does it, but he's not Blumhouse. He's just a director. They can he's a director on. that I think has signed yeah, on. Yeah, he's not. He's not him. like tied down to Blumhouse. Yeah. But so yeah, this film does very well. It gets a sequel in 2015 called Sinister Two, and that's where we're just going to kind of start with this movie. That this movie is the start of essentially a franchise that I'm sure Universal probably has ideas to probably continue on. Yeah. I'd have to assume that they would be considering a Sinister 3. But let's just start with this. And we always start with the hill to die on, which is the idea of our one-sentence, bold, brash statement on the movie. I'll have, I have minds uh, ready to go. So my hill to die on this week is that Sinister works solely because of how talented Scott Derrickson is as a director. Mm-hmm. That's my big, bold claim on this movie. If Scott Derrickson did not direct this movie... I would find nothing interesting about this movie because I like this movie enough. Wasn't the hugest fan, but I will admit that Scott Derrickson does a hell of a job directing this. Yeah, film. I'm I'm basically in the same boat. I didn't have a sentence written down, but I would lean towards the best aspect of this movie is the direction of it. Mm-hmm. And it, mm-hmm. it is the storyboard and the directing. So I would say if I had to put it in one sense, I would be... Uh, Sinister's directed directing is top notch horror cinema. Mm-hmm. That's what I would. That's about what I would say. Yeah, I would agree. I like I said, first time seeing this movie was last night for me. Same. I saw it today. Even. I like I said, I didn't leave like crazy impressed in this movie. This isn't going to be like one of my new horror classics. Yeah, I would agree. But for what it is, it was pretty good. And I think the thing that elevates the movie is the final twenty minutes of the movie. That's where it took the leap for me. Interesting. Okay, we're gonna have it. We're gonna have different takes. Okay, this, which I like though. I like that we're having different takes because yeah. Ben and I have talked about this a lot. We, I've been into horror for a long time, but I haven't really started delving into it till recently. Mm-hmm. Ben really has just like has had a like you've had a respect for horror movies, but you have started really enjoying them as of lately. Yeah, I typically my horror genre of movies are the ones that are the classics considered. So like I love The Exorcist, Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah, the exactly. Halloween series, like all those. That Slash was my jam ones. growing up. Uh 
Obviously, then you get some of the more respectable ones like Get Out and what Jordan Peele has been doing. But it's not like so. I'm not someone who goes out to see the trashy horror films. Yeah, I wouldn't that either. come out would, like every agree. October. Mm-hmm. Like so, Sinister was just not a movie on my radar because that's kind of what I assumed about the film. Yeah. I'm just like I. To me, you have to impress me with the trailer, and if the trailer doesn't impress me, I don't think yeah. about it. And specifically at this age, 2012, I'm just not into horror at all. So yeah, I'm not I, watching. I it. was I was too, I was young and I was uh, to be frank with you, like I was kind of scared of horror movies still mm. at that time. Um, like I always say, I've told Ben this off the record too. The first movie that ever really like really captured me as a horror movie that I enjoyed and thought was really well done was Insidious. It's the first movie came out around the same time. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think what my first that was like the first one for me where I'm like, okay, and now that I know it's Blumhouse, I'm like they know what they're doing and they they have they have a direction as a franchise and as a production uh, studio um it was probably mine insidious yeah. was we can talk about it later too and like in what i think about it but i've always thought insidious was like the first movie to do something out of uh, out of the comfort zone of mm. horror at least from what i had seen prior yeah, I think for me it has to be it 2017's very it. disturbing, very eerie yeah great I, makeup I think that was the first movie that gave me like coming that coming of age story within a horror film. And which good I acting, you really, really good, good acting. Scar Scar is amazing in that film. That was really the first one. Like Scar Scar did that guy. Isn't that Scar Scar as uh? Oh, is it ma- as the redhead? It's the red dude, the devil guy. No, I'm saying in uh, it. Oh yeah. Oh oh, you're talking about in it. It, it yeah. That's the one I'm talking oh, about. I'm pretty sure it. that. Okay. So I think that's the first horror film that I really have an attachment to. Yeah. So I said Insidious. You saying it? Yeah. With uh, with uh, Scar Scar. Yeah. So what? When when did it come out? Like, 2017. That's probably the one for me where I like. That's where like the genre gets a little bit elevated because I like I said I'd seen The Exorcist. I like The Exorcist a lot. I don't find it particularly scary. Mm-hmm. Like I respect the movie a ton. I think it's really in filmmaking. It's, it's just not scary to so, me anymore. So it's it's nice to know that you and I have a very similar perspective on the horror movie has to like really grab our attention for us to go actually see it and like be interested in it. Mm. We're not going to just go like for an example for me. The first one I thought of is the Purge movies. Never really had an interest in seeing those. I movies. wanted to like those movies a ton. I thought the premise was brilliant. Mm-hmm. The first it, one I liked. Yeah, I didn't like the first one. I liked the second one. And I think I fell off after it. I, I like the premise of the first one. I like the premise of the idea of like, it's every day or every year. There's one day where everyone just goes crazy for 12 hours. Mm-hmm. I like that idea. Never really clicked for me, but I'm trying to think like, for me, at least like for a horror fan, for me, I'm not typically into the demonic, ritualistic like that's horror so thing like that's just not my vibe like and it's hereditary. not even yeah and it's not even because like i believe or i'm disturbed in that stuff it's just it's never scared me i don't know why to me it's always something that feels real feels a little bit more scary so a serial killer is more scary to me than anything i've always still contended the scariest movie i've ever seen is zodiac so never seen zodiac I know you're probably going to talk about it today. Yeah. But I have, that's probably next on my list. Either that movie and Seven are probably the next ones on my list. Yeah. Those movies scare me more because serial feels like they feel so real and it's more tangible. I'm not even saying that I necessarily don't believe in evil spirits. Mm -hmm. It's just that that feels so intangible to me. Yeah. Where serial killers are just like, they're real. And like, considering like Zodiac takes place in San Francisco. 
and has like some of the guys who ended up living through the whole Zodiac murders. Mm -hmm. They lived in like Sacramento. They lived on like, you know, downtown. It's very believable, very real. So it just made it so much more real for me. But with that all said, let's get into the movie. Let's just talk about the filmmaking strengths and weaknesses of the film to start this movie off. Sure. What were the strengths for you for this movie? Because I think we might have some similar ones. The here. filmmaking, the filmmaking strengths. Okay, so like, do you, like you want me to kind of talk about like stuff aspects of the movie that, As- I, that yeah, yeah, that I really like from the filmmaking's perspective. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, not not necessarily the acting. We'll get to yeah, acting sure. a little bit later, but more of just like the the intan- the tangibles, like the cinematography, sure, the lighting, sure. direction, yeah, whatever so it may be. I would say like to go elaborate a little bit more on the direction of the movie. I really thought the, the way the movie was shot and the angles that the director picked up were like almost top notch and like, so real, like what, how you explain it, like the way he, he would speed up and cut through different scenes and different, um, different like parts of the movie. And then he would do really long pans and really slow portions of it. I thought was extremely well done. I felt like, I felt like this was one of those movies where it's like, if you got up and went to the bathroom, maybe for like five minutes, you could miss something really important. Not saying you're going to, but you could. Mm-hmm. And it felt like there was no, I never got bored in the movie. If that makes sense. I, I felt like there were some slower parts of the movie to kind of give build up to the narrative and the story, but I never got bored. So that was definitely a plus for me. Something that like, I thought was a strength of the movie. I also thought, um, the strength of this movie for me was not relying on jump scares. I thought that was something that was really important mm-hmm. to me is that, yeah, it had bangs and yeah, it had stuff that maybe like got you a little bit like to jump out of your seat, but it never relied on it. It relied on really good storytelling to like drive the movie. Mm-hmm. So that's something, that's another thing that I took away from it. And then I just have one more. The last thing was like the using the use of disturbing images to drive the eeriness of the movie. I like that one a lot. That's like the one thing for me is that like, I am so critical. I, as much as I love these conjuring movies and their, their franchise, they do rely on jump scares a lot. They do. And I do think that is a, a tactic that's been used for decades, right? Mm. In, in horror cinema. But this movie for me, like it would, it would continually, continuously, it would get scarier. The longer you watched an image come onto the screen and it would get like more disturbing and you'd like want to turn your eyes away. It's not because like somebody would jump in front of the screen so abruptly. I feel like that's something the movie utilized so well. You know, it's so interesting. You mentioned the jump scares element because I forgot to talk about the reception that this film receives in 2012. It gets a pretty positive reception. Uh, Ethan Hawke's performances as well acclaimed. Mm-hmm. The issue that they said was just some of the, uh, horror tropes being overutilized and a reliance on jump scares, which I actually completely disagree with their take. So you on agree that. more with me? I agree more with yeah, you. And it's too. not that like there are jump scares in this movie. Do not like think like you're going to mm-hmm. watch this movie and there are no jump scares. There is a handful in this movie, but to me, they actually serve the story more because there was usually actually related to the horror mm-hmm. going on on screen. Yeah. So if something jumps out at you, it was usually one of those like scary looking kids. Yeah, it exactly. wasn't just like the mom coming through the door and then the music just exactly. Eh. It wasn't like it wasn't like all of a sudden like somebody got really scared and they dropped in their seat and then they like fell to the ground crying and then it just cut to a different scene. It was like, it was a part of the story that it like was, yeah, it, was it, integrated felt, in. it felt natural yeah. reactions it more. Agreed. So I like, I get the criticism because I don't like jump scares. And in this movie, mm-hmm. I even think they might've overutilized them, but yep. I didn't think they were used in a way within the film that like was cheap. 
I thought they earned the jump scares for the most part. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I would 100% agree. I, I want to hear what you think. I too. think the your thing, filmmaking strengths. Yeah. So how I've described the filmmaking strengths is if you are a young filmmaker watching, like you're making a movie and you're like, oh, I want to get an idea of how to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, these are the movies that you watch to get an idea of how they design oh, okay. something. So you hit it right there with, like, just some of the pan and all that stuff. For me, the one that, like, when I'm watching this film and I'm thinking, like, that's, like, if you want to do something like that, this is the type of film to watch, is the sound design. The sound design specifically of the house mm-hmm. is perfect. Throughout, there are so many scenes where it's just like you hear the creaking, you hear the walking, you and hear the, the you hear the projector going off. Yeah, you hear the projector, the air condition, the power shutting off, all of that. It just feels very atmospheric, and it does a great job at building the tension throughout because there's a sound that we associate mm-hmm. throughout the film, and when we hear that, it's kind of the Pavlo's dog reaction, where it's like something's about to go down. Like I said, with the film projector, as you mentioned, whenever you hear that, you're like, this is probably not going to be good because that thing just turned itself on. Mm -hmm. So you're trained to know that's going to be a bad reaction. I think that's one of the biggest strengths of this movie is just simply how he designs the house. And I think that's also another huge strength of the movie is set design. I, when I'm Mm -hmm. watching this movie, I'm just kind of blown away by just how the house feels because so often in films and especially horror, it's so easy to get lost in a house, right? You build a house and then there's just this random room when you need there to be a random room, Mm -hmm. just like, Oh, okay. Well, this character needs to get to this place. So there's going to be this random room that we haven't seen in the movie. This Mm -hmm. felt like a house. This felt like there were, you knew where the basement was. You knew where the attic was. You knew where the kitchen was. You knew where the kid's bedroom, like all of that. You knew where his study was. So you felt like you had a full idea of what the house is. And that makes everything more tangible because it makes the house feel smaller. If it's a house that you're just kind of like in and you're just like, okay, well now we're going to find this new room, like in the third act or it's like, Oh, head down to like the cellar. And it's like, you've never talked about a cellar before. It just makes everything feel a little cheaper. And it's just like, Oh, this house is kind of a do sex machina. I would, I would hundred percent agree. And I think another movie that does that really well and may, and, and it's not about the ritual ritualistic, uh, aspect are you saying hereditary is hereditary I they use, the same thing. utilize the house and the like slow pans of how stuff creak and how the rooms are set up and everything is beautifully done the cinematography is really well and i would 100 percent agree i think the sound design mm-hmm. the house design was great i that's so interesting because that's the film when you're watching this movie i instantly compare yeah, it to hereditary yeah, they're agree. very similar premises i think hereditary is the more untamed some would call maybe more grotesque version of sinister Mm -hmm. sinister is definitely much more of a common type horror film like a general audience is going to see it Mm -hmm. a general audience will not see hereditary you cannot get a full audience to sit through hereditary and sit through some of the just the hours of just kind of like not much happening it's so meticulous in that design this film is a lot more like up and up this movie like you this movie has more sinister like you throughout the entire movie you feel suffering then like you feel a lot going on a lot of tension Mm -hmm. in hereditary it had signs where like that a lot of that would stop and you'd be like it's a character development for times of it where you're just sitting there with the characters watching them grieve yep 
And that's what this film is not. It is much more in the conventional sense of an action film where it's not an action film by it's like there's mm-hmm. action and adventure going on. It's simply in the fast paced beats by beats yeah. by beats. Like, okay, we need to hit this scare here. We need to hit this scare there. Yeah. It's paced differently where hereditary is much more a character study. We're going to make sure you know who Tony Collette's character is mm-hmm. that way. When the third act comes, it kind of all just becomes yeah. explosive. Mm-hmm. Uh, any weaknesses for filmmaking in this thing? Um, the like some of the I guess like in the filmmaking, I don't know. Like generally speaking, if there's one that comes to mind right away, um, there's some stuff with like the acting that like maybe I would change for sure. Um, but like filmmaking, I do wish that we saw like the. I do wish they they utilized the the children more. In the, I agree. In, in, in the first act, in first act of the movie, because they become critical in the third like, act, really like, quick, really like, quick, and there's no because. And again, we're gonna. I'm moving away from when we used to do the show where it was beat by beat. Let's describe the plot. Sure. So I'm assuming everyone who's listening to this podcast has seen Sinister. Or so knows, yeah, no, yeah. No, so no, I'm no. spoiling the crap out of this movie right now. It's the whole third act. Like, like, it's the kid it, killing all the yeah. family members including her brother exactly because it's like the first half of the movie is is like ethan hawk and he is unraveling this story and it's very cynical he's very in-depth about this doesn't really care about his family his family's there supporting him in sense of like the movie but all of a sudden the second act it's just straight all about the children like for in ethan hawk and so yeah, it's like, I would, a, yeah, I would say a little even, bit more the third act, but yeah. Yeah, yeah like, sorry, that's what I mean. I'm mm, thinking of it two acts. It's, yeah, yes, yeah, you're thinking the third first act, half, second half. Yeah, no, agree. 100%. I felt like it was just so rushed in that sense that like, wow, I wish that they had in, in goal, in it like a little bit easier like they had engaged the children more in the story they need to be in the story a little bit more because also like the weird thing is if you were to tell like if you were to watch the first hour of the film and say well and then i tell you one of these kids is going to go evil i'd assume it's the brother yeah i would assume because he's like having these weird nightmares like yeah it was he's drawing these weird pictures like you kind of assume he's the one kind of being like almost possessed Mm -hmm. 100%. And then they just like they make it out to be the daughter, and it's a really scary yeah. sequence in the film. It's very se- scary. It seemed a little sudden, like a little bit out of left field. Mm. Like, mm, like I don't know if I would have believed that, but like they do tie it up well. So like that, they it's forgiving in that sense. But I wish they would have changed that. It's maybe the I first agree. Thing I There's a of. little bit with the screenplay there. My biggest issue with the film, and we're gonna get into this as we're about to jump into best scene and elements that don't age well. Yeah. The thing that doesn't age well, and I think is also an issue in the filmmaking, is simply characters are there at times to just give exposition. Like James, uh, what is his name? What is his name? The guy that's a cop. No, the the professor. And I'm he's Vincent D'Onofrio. The the professor is the guy that he like. He's calls. Zooming, zooming. Basically, basically, that guy is very much there when they need them to explain something like the whole third act is critical on that guy calling them, telling them that information like, Oh, these are demons and they believe to like, just come out. And that's his only role in it. I wish D'Onofrio, if they were going to use him that way as a professor, I wish we saw him a little bit more hands-on, almost like Uh, the deputy cop that we see. That's exactly what I, what I I have as a point later on, like that the cop, and him, I wish they had utilized them hands-on more. I 100% agree. 
Yeah, so that was my issue, and that's also in elements that didn't age well. I just thought the random Zoom cameos, and it's not Zoom, but it's like that type of like uh, technology. I just thought it looked one. I thought it was lazy, and two, I just kind of thought it looked a little cheesy. Like this guy will just call right when this character needs it to it did be. Look a little cheesy. It looked a little bit like almost like a like it looked like almost like a like it was placed like last second there it's yeah. like oh let's just put this here because it makes sense or it see it feels right yeah but it didn't feel natural i would also say it's blatant advertisement because mm-hmm. it is just straight up apple oh 100 i saw that it is just apple so it almost feels like okay how do we incorporate apple more i'm not saying that's what it is but when you're watching it it's just like okay it's apple technology oh, Zoom. Well, uncanny i agree i just yeah i didn't care for that uh, other elements that didn't age that didn't age well before we get into our best scenes of the movie. Yeah, uh, I also had flashlight filmmaking, which mm. is the idea oh, the of fl- a, yeah, the f- just holding a flashlight. Very few directors Utilize can it. do flashlight filmmaking. David Fincher, for instance, when he uses it in Zodiac and more specifically Seven, does it really well. The issue when you that Scott Derrickson has. Versus when David Fincher does it in seven, David Fincher is working with a very respectable budget. Scott Derrickson has to kind of use flashlights to kind of hide the budget that it's a smaller scale. So there's times where you're just seeing it and it's just, everything doesn't look particularly clear. It just looks a little cheap. I, like I said, flashlight filmmaking is such a difficult thing. And I have a feeling we might be seeing it in the black phone too, but the film has a bigger budget and I think it might look a little bit better in this. It's simply like the cinematography at times just looks dark Yeah, where you're just like, I don't understand the horror that just happened because I couldn't really see it particularly well. Yeah. Like I didn't even realize there was a scorpion that came out the first time. Like it's just a little, just framed a little dark. Yeah. And I think that's just the tool of like flashlight filmmaking. So those are my elements that didn't age well. Did you have any? Uh, yeah, I had I had like one really that didn't age well. I just thought like outside of Ethan Hawke, I thought some of the acting wasn't great. It was questionable. It was, it was I, I've had the same thing. And so like the thing is, Ethan Hawke, if you didn't have him in this movie, I think everybody would agree, Ben and myself, ben and myself included, this movie would be not good. Like, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have as much character and it wouldn't have as much drive as this movie did. So like, that's the thing is like, I feel like that, like the, the, the mother was one that stuck out to me. I thought she was not great as an actress. Like, yeah, I I didn't think she had much. My issue was she didn't do anything. She didn't like, she like, I, I understand what she was trying to do. Like her role in the movie was to be like, Ethan Hawke is distracted. Right. And he's like all into his work, very cynical in that aspect. And she's supposed to be like, we have a family that we're trying to support and like, it's scary to live here. And she just doesn't, didn't feel very like believable in that sense. Yeah. It's, it's the, the underdevelopment one. They don't give her a ton to do. Yes. And two, it mm-hmm. is just a performance where yeah. you're just not a, yeah. able to do much, the, but the, I agree. She does second, kind of stick out. Yeah. The other one that like, for me felt like it, they could have almost either left it out or like they should have utilized more. Don't and it, it was the cop. Which one? The one that was played Deputy by the, Soso. The guy, yes, yes. The guy that was played, he's he played, he's in it too. Is he actually? Yeah, he plays. Uh, the he plays. He's in it too. He's Eddie. Yeah, he plays Eddie. Eddie. He's oh, a main I role. didn't recognize. The thing him. is, is that like he for me like felt like he's gonna be the, in the wrong. Too, it felt yeah. like the wrong actor. It it, it felt oh, like so it felt like he didn't do well. But the thing is, it, it one the role wasn't utilized as well as it could have been. It should have been more hands on, like Ben and I just said. And two. 
it just it wasn't great acting. Can I tell you? This is so bad. Do you, you like him? I in under best scenes, I literally have a note that says <laughs> squirrel police guy. Not even because the acting is particularly great or this like the writing is it is so comedically funny. This guy who oh. just like comes out and he's deputy so-so and he's just like, oh yeah, you got squirrels in the attic. And he just starts telling this long antidote about squirrels. Like he's scenes. just like, oh yeah, you know, like we don't have murders, but we got squirrels. <laughs> it's just like this guy just like, seem right. he just has this whole monologue ready for squirrels. <laughs> you know, I've been trying to think of categories for like this show and I've been really trying to be careful because I know I'm starting to tread into the Bill Simmons rewatchables where I'm just like starting to pull categories. They're getting a little similarly yeah. too close. Yeah. And he has one category called the Dion waiters, six man of the oh. year award. Like that guy who's just in the film to be that guy, like just to be that glue guy. Yeah. I kind of want to add that character. I want to call it the boot the Bialitsa effort we deserve it guy. Yeah, yeah. This guy is the effort we deserve it guy. He comes into this film. <laughs> That's a really good take. Fully believing in this. Like, you know, he's been rehearsing the yeah. squirrel line forever. <laughs> like he is there and he believes everything. He is so earnest in his acting. He's yeah. the effort we deserve it guy in this movie. Yeah, he, he comes is. in there and you're just like, God damn, man! You're just you're doing it. You're do you're really trying <laughs> you're almost really, too hard. It's too so hard noticeable. And it's just like I like the I like that this character at least wasn't bland. Like he's a memorable yeah. character. Deputy So So yeah, is I a agreed. memorable I, character. In it's this a great film. name. So So So. It's great. Um, but yeah, I just thought well, like man, they could have used him so much better because I I like him as an actor. Yeah. And I like the idea of having him in the movie and the cop helping, but they did not utilize it as well as they should have. Yeah. Or they, they could have. I, I just you're right. As a as a thing in the horror film, he is just the guy that comes out there to give Ethan Hawke information. Yeah, and it just like in it that, kills ten minutes, you know. Yeah, but in the scenes where he's just talking to Ethan Hawke, like he's just the big fanboy, like in lot. the office. Just like, oh, can I get a signature? All that stuff, mm -hmm. or just like an, him annoying Ethan Hawke with the squirrel humor. I'm gonna hit on this squirrel humor. It's the best <laughs> element of this film. I like He's that. Like, all. This is my big break. This is, squirrel moment, right? This here. is the big thing. Uh, other scenes that I think the best scenes in the movie. I have uh, rewatching the tapes from the previous night when Ethan yeah. Hawke is and seeing the hands crawling onto his character. Yep. And then the meanwhile, while he's distracted like that, we as the audience see the background of the demon moving uh in the movie yeah i thought that was scary yeah i uh, thought that was very scary that was very good um the scene for me that i loved the most was when he was in his office and he like goes out to the window and he holds up the photo of the people that got hung in his backyard mm. and then he puts it down and then like they're out there and he's visualizing them and he's visualizing the sinister guy out there and then he goes out there with the bat and he's just like ready to wreak hell you could really tell in that moment for me mm. that ethan hawks like he put all of his character and all of his like his turmoil that he's feeling into that scene and for i love that was the one that stuck out to me first the second one that stuck out to me was the scene in the attic where he goes up there and he's freaking out is it that and the one with the snake it's with all the notes with all the children <laughs> watching, <laughs> that is a good one all is... the children watching the projector because he hears the projector up yeah, there, yeah and he goes up there 
and then sin the sinister guy pops up and then he falls down and they just throw everything down on the ground he's crying on the ground yeah, yeah. that scene for me gave me like that i felt uh, like unner it was unnerving i agree that's a that really was, good scene that was probably my favorite scene in the whole movie okay my favorite scene of the movie and we've already talked about that it doesn't even fully work necessarily and i don't know if it even earns this scene but in terms of just like if you were to just cut this like it is a 15 minute scene I think the final 15 minutes of the film is terrifying. Like, I think it's a good twist. I think it's a really scary moment. I think once we realize, like once he realized he's been drugged, then you see the daughter and then like, you see how the tapes get to the attic and all that. And like the premise of it, like realizing like every time you move houses, like that's that doesn't when even the matter. Demon, no, the, that's the whole thing. The no, no, demon yeah. like pops in. Yeah. Once exactly. you move house. Yeah. That's when and the demon like, and it's comes like in the idea that like, oh, we can move houses, like, we'll get away from this demon, but actually it's your daughter, and she's with you the entire time. Yeah, that and that's when twist. she gets possessed. That that's the exact twist. second you leave is when you get possessed by the demon. I like that whole thing. I like the whole ending. I think it's a really creepy ending. I think it ties the film together really well. Again, does it fully deserve that ending because of, like, the daughter not being there? You could debate that. I would probably yeah. lean a little I, bit, like, not fully... But I like the filmmaking within the scene. That's what I felt like a lot of this film. I don't know if I buy the whole film together, but there are individual mm -hmm. scenes of filmmaking where I see the genius that is Scott Derrickson. I I really did like the ending as well. I do feel like it was rushed a little bit. I agree. Like I felt like they just went zero to one hundred really quick in the last fifteen minutes. Having said that, though, I liked that they did that. I did think it was a little bit out of place, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I agree. Quite, quite, quite a lot, actually. Okay, so we got our best scenes done. Yep. Are you ready to move over to my new segment called Mount Rushmore? I'm ready. So let me explain Mount Rushmore right, I'm because I'm still trying to work out how sure. I want to do this. This is a great idea, by the way. Mount Rushmore is basically take a few elements within this film that you would argue in conversation to be on a Mount Rushmore of some sort. So let me explain that. There's always the debate in basketball Who's the Mount Rushmore, like the goats? Who are the four guys yeah, who, who belong who's on Mount Rushmore? the best passer in the NBA ever? Yeah, yeah like four guys up there. Yeah, the, the Mount Rushmore. Like these are the four guys who changed the sport for whatever reason. So we're taking that same idea, but we're making it specific for each movie. So if there was one in this movie, like what is it? So I'll give you my first one. Sure. My first one is creepy children, girls, and movies. If there is a Mount Rushmore for creepy oh. children, girls, and movies... I think you would have to include care Claire Foley's character as Ashley Oswald in that conversation. I found some nominees that could definitely be in there. The twin girls from The Shining, mm -hmm. I think are very respectable. You have to put in Reagan from The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. uh, Samara in The Ring, I think is a very mm -hmm. uh, probable one. And then there's Charlie in Hereditary, who's yeah, the little girl. That's the one I think like, of instantly. So, like, she's in the conversation. What I'm saying is, in this case, I think Sinister, I think mm -hmm. that girl is in the conversation for the Mush Mount Rushmore of scariest children, girls, and movies. Yeah, so that's one of them. Do you have a few? Yeah, so I have one that comes okay. to mind right away. And if this movie, if, this, if, if a movie had a Mount Rushmore for, like, like uh, not jump scares, but, like, timing as a uh, like in the way that it's directed i feel like this would be on the mount rushmore of like of horror movies or like you could say thriller movies that like how good their timing is okay i felt like this movie to me and it kind of goes back to directing so you can kind of tie these two together i feel like this movie 
was time like the timing that they they play stuff in the movie mm-hmm. and where they had different aspects that like the, the every scene with the with the projector every almost all those scenes are pretty much flawless because of their timing and how they were placed and how it was filmed and so like that would be the first thing i'd put up there on mount rushmore that's probably like the only one i really thought of really thoroughly okay I'm I, have, honest. I have two more yeah i have ethan hawk is the scream king of schlocky small budget horror films mm-hmm. he is uh, small budget. daybreaker sinister the purge regression the black phone I think that's a resume worthy of being like the Mount Rushmore of like horror king icons. So often we talk about the horror queens like Jamie Lee Curtis in the Halloweens or even more recently. uh, I've been making the argument that uh, Jenna Ortega from this year has really proven herself. I think you can make the argument that Ethan Hawke has to be like of the guys who are in these type of horror films. Again, Mm -hmm. these aren't the elevated like. $50 million ones. These are the kind of more smaller budget. Like if you're making a film for like less than $10 million and you can get a star, I feel like you get Ethan Hawke. I thought this one too, for me, um, you could put up on the Mount Rushmore in a more general aspect was the, the makeup on the, uh, the sinister guy in the movie. I felt like we never really see him hard. Yeah. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is for me, is like, you never the whole movie. You really see him in the distance, and you really see him like fr- like blurred or like it's kind of skewed. And then like as the movie goes along, you start seeing him more, and you start seeing him more. And I'm like, damn, he looks really terrifying because he has the same facial expression the entire time for me. That's part of the reason. But yeah. also like the makeup was really well done. The costume was well. But I would say cost the makeup in general with the with the villain or with the the the, the paranormal aspect of maybe whatever you want to say was on like a Mount Rushmore for me up there yeah. with like insidious for an example, the built like the makeup on the, the red guy that is terrifying. It is so gruesome that uh, the exorcist has amazing. Yeah, I was going to say like the hard things for me is like, you got to get the exorcist yeah, in there. No, I was thinking that too. You uh, probably have to get Freddie. Th- yeah. Freddie's up there too. Even, even one in like a more general aspect, one makeup movie that I think is flies under the rug for like I would maybe put up there is Silence of the Lambs. Silence of the Lambs has really good makeup on yeah different type of on makeup, what's yeah. that what's the guy the the main villain it not um not Hannibal Lecter Hannibal Lecter is good when the put, other one when he goes into that one person's body Hannibal Lecter though and he has to put that like all, all the that person's skin all over him oh no you're talking about too, uh, Ted Hannibal. Levine's character. Or oh, you're no. talking about in just Hannibal. Yeah, Ted in, Levine, I think, is the character you're talking about. Okay. In Silence of the yeah, Lambs. But, um, and I'm blanking on that. Yeah, but serial killer. I thought the makeup in that movie was underrated too because you don't really think about it, but it definitely adds to the movie. But I did like it a lot. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I I don't think it would get on my Mount Rushmore simply because like you have The Exorcist, you have Freddy Krueger. It'd be hard for me not to say it. Oh yeah, like, no, it's, oh yeah. Like, yeah. So I'm already at three, so I don't know if it gets in there, but that's a fair one. I have one more, and I think this might be in Sacramento and movies. Is this the Mount Rushmore for Sacramento and movies? So let's talk about some of the ones we have. We have Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. That's a Mount Rushmore. That's a first ballot Mount Rushmore. I probably put that first head on there. I would, yeah. That has to be the Washington Bad Grandpa, or is it Dirty Grandpa? Which one's the one? It's with the Bad jackass? Grandpa. Bad Grandpa's on there for sure. Bad Grandpa's hysterical, and you like it's it's all filmed in Sacramento, like or a large chunk of it's filmed in there. Now you have some other ones that could get in there. You have Zodiac, which has a brief scene in Sacramento. I don't know if I would get it there. Pop star Connor for real, which is Andy Samberg's character is from Sacramento. And he kind of goes back there to rehab his image after he's like fallen off. Could be in there. Bird box apparently has moments in Sacramento. I did not remember that. I didn't know that either. Uh, 
American Beauty, some of the city streets are filmed there on 42nd Street in East Sacramento. Okay, interesting. Uh, the Ugly Truth with Gerald Butler and Katherine Heigl. So it doesn't have a ton of competition. So I get that while we never see Sacramento in this film, it might have to be on the Sacramento Mount Rushmore. Maybe. I, I got to think, like, there's got to be more movies there's out gotta, there. That, I like, was looking it up. It was some internet research. I, I couldn't pull it all up. But, like, so obviously Lady Bird, first ballot. You, it does not make... You yep. don't make a Mount Rushmore I, Sacramento I movies. Say, I would say this is like on the Mount Rushmore of name dropping Sacramento. Like that's they, a good, that's they, a good one. I like that a lot. They like they, they I like that a lot because they talk about Sacramento more than a handful of times. I would say you can count more, uh, more like than that. five times they they say Sacramento in it, and they like and you can tell when they talk about Sacramento, it's not in a good way, and in a horror movie, that's a good thing. So I like that. Sacramento's always like getting diff, and whether it's Lady Bird, just like I gotta leave here. Whether it's a uh, bad grandpa we're getting pranked on, <laughs> whether it's Bird Box, apparently the starting yeah. point of a apocalypse. Oh my god! Wait, uh, what movie does uh does Hustle name drop Sacramento at all? Uh, it's gotta right. It might just because of all the kings or all the NBA references. I don't remember if they ever say they refer to it as basketball purgatory, <laughs> basketball hell. <laughs> that would be great if they did. That'd I be, don't. That'd be I don't one. remember if they do. But those, so those are my Mount Rushmore. That's, that's a that's a good idea. I think you should keep doing that for your I, I'm gonna. I gotta rework it, but I like the idea. I like the. Idea. I think the less if you could make it like a little bit less intricate, maybe. But that would be like I ideal. Think, I think what I'll do well, is I will general. start coming up with it. And then telling you ahead of time. That way you can like like either have it in your yeah. argument or an argument against it. Yeah, I like that. So I think that's what I'm gonna do. Uh let's jump into okay, let's do 2022 recasting. This is the idea of if the movie was filmed today, like the studio decided to either remake it, reboot it, and they're not bringing back any of the original casts. You have to recast. And I think in this film, I'm only asking for Ethan Hawk and the wife to be recast okay. yeah sure okay who are the it. people who you recast in this um, film with okay. today's sensibilities i think oh man that's a great question i think the mother might be a little bit easier for me just like i thought like you could say any answer and it'd be like fine to say. it'd be reasonable to yeah, say. yeah they don't have much to do in this film so you just got to get someone who's a um, competent think, actress to go up against whoever yeah. you get as your main the mother for me like honestly you could say any any anybody generally in hollywood and i'd be like okay with it the first one for me this is this might be a little bit of a stretch is it kind of out of my comfort zone to say her name is kate mara is the first person that came to mind just because mm. i know she's one a great actress and two i've seen her break down in some scenes where i'm like damn that is so fucking believable uh, and so I would just love to see a little bit more character in the role. I feel like she could have brought that. She is a little bit overpowering as an actress sometimes. And I, we'll say that. I think she's a little too young. I can't tell if she's, she's too young. She's like in her, I don't know how I think she's now. in her mid thirties. probably look that up. I can look it up. But okay. So my bail one, just cause it's hard to compete with Ethan Hawke. If I had to say someone that's like in their forties that could like fix that, like not fix it, but like could also add a unique spin to the movie is Jake Gyllenhaal for me. Damn, that was mine. Oh, Gyllenhaal was mine. Gyllenhaal for me, the, the main thing is because I've seen him in Prisoners, and I I think he, it's arguably one of his best movies I saw in Nightcrawler. He's terrifying. And in this one, I'm like, damn, if if he they yeah. had him in this role, the guy. oh, he'd be, he'd be the guy. He's, the thing about 
this role is you need a character to see them slowly spiral. And no one does like just obsessive spiraling quite like Jill and all. Uh, okay, I will now cast Kate, it a little bit differently. Kate Mara is 39, by the way. Okay, so she actually so she, is. She would have been like 30. Be she would have been like 30 around yeah, that. Yeah, she'd be fine. Like if you're recasting in 2022, she could do it, I yeah. guess. Uh, I would go. Do I want For to do a female? That? Yeah, female. Okay, so now I have to rework the answer because I was going to say Jake Gyllenhaal and Scarlett Johansson mm-hmm. as the female. I think Scarlett Johansson not always the biggest fan of her what i will say is she always plays a really convincing mom in a movie if you need a mom in a movie scarlett johansson is like what about gwyneth paltrow a little too old not a bad name but i think just a little bit too old and a little bit like too forward mm-hmm. you need to, oh you need one who's a little bit like reserved mm-hmm. in their performance you could almost go like somebody i wonder if you could go like someone ah, i'm trying to think of her name a, like a sandy bullock i think she's too overpowering she's though. a little she's a little more overpowering. i just like, like kate mara in the aspect yeah I'm, I'm trying to think of that actress so i'm gonna keep it with scarlett johansson mm-hmm. which makes my new answer terrible because the guy that i thought instantly after jake gyllenhaal oh you know actually can you look up the mom from ghostbusters afterlife mm-hmm. look up that mom i think she might be my answer because this allows me to do this answer a little bit more justice. I am going. Yeah, what's her name? Uh, I can picture her. Um, um, um. Here, this is. Let me see the cast. Sigourney Weaver. Not Sigourney. It is. Oh, is that uh, right there? Yeah, Carrie Coon from The Leftovers. I think she could do it pretty well. Huh. I think she would do it. And then this allows me, because my issue with having Scarlet was one issue in particular. If you took Jake Gyllenhaal, I was going to take Adam Driver. But I didn't want Adam God, Driver and Scarlett Johansson to be in a movie together after that. Marriage Story. I love Adam Driver. He's, I, he's that guy. He adds a little bit more intensity oh, than yeah. what Ethan Hawke would do. But he's also that guy that you can just see just like losing control. And you can see that like, again, that spiraling nature, but also just the psychological breakdown. And I think nobody does like just nobody does ugliness quite like adam driver like he is an actor always willing to portray himself in the ugliest fashion Mm -hmm. and i think there would be something almost like demonic about his performance where he's just you feel gross watching him essentially just lose his mind you know who i want to see in a horror movie is adam sandler he he can (gasps) you know he's not a bad pick the thing is that because i think i think he would be good in a horror movie and i saw him in hubie halloween it's not scary it's comedy but this this movie i think he could be good in it he's not a bad pick he you know, kind of has kinda it like, like a funny answer but also I like kind of real i think the thing that sandler sometimes struggles with is there's a level of smartness mm-hmm. that i think this character needs to hit and i don't know if i always buy sandler as a smart guy yeah i buy him as like a you know a father figure like i think he could do that element well and i definitely like if you told me adam sandler was being cast in a horror film i would instantly be really interested me too but like I don't know if it's this role, but I don't hate that suggestion. I think it could be interesting. Mm-hmm. So that's our 2022 recasting. Let's do a few more. It looks like the last real category we have is movie whippets, which let me explain for those who don't know what a whippet is. It's basically like the old fashioned, like glue that you put in a bag. You go like you sniff it and you just get crazy high. And the it's like, idea it's like of this, salt. <laughs> smelling kind of, the idea of this that I had for this, is obviously every studio executive is on whippets. 
They're just sitting there with their bags of glue, just <laughs> sniffing it like crazy. Okay. And I want them, I want to envision us as studio executives. Right. And every time a I'm movie ready. does really well, mm-hmm. they always have the ideas that they should take away from the movie. The ones where it's like, okay, that's why this film was successful. And then there's the ideas that the studio does take away. And so let me explain it. I'll start it first. I think the should take away is I think studios need to be willing to embrace an R rating in horror. Okay. Like simply like I know the fear is when you don't go R and it, or if you go PG-13, you have a larger audience. Mm-hmm. I think the film's quality loses uh, quality essentially when you go PG-13. Not all the cases, but in this case in particular, I think if you tone down the gruesomeness of this film and some of the horror demonic elements of it, mm-hmm. I think it really loses that effect. So I don't want a – if I'm a studio executive – what I am seeing is Scott Derrickson made the movie that he wanted to make with our restraints. And we need to respect that it's R because I think it would have been really easy to edit this film down to PG 13 and make it a little more schlocky. Hmm. So that's my, what they should learn. Yeah. I'm thinking like what, what they should learn. Golly. I think like the, the one thing that I wish they would like that, Blumhouse, Blumhouse has been pretty good about this. I would like, and this granted this was in 2012 and they were really starting to find their footing. But like, I think that what, what they studio should take away from this movie is that like acting in a horror movie does matter. It's not all about reactions. Mm. That's something for me that I feel like Ethan Hawke understands and really knows like some of these other actors, like to really just like, this might be a like, like uh in jordan peele's movies daniel k lua and lupita nyong'o and in us and in get out they really know how to like act in a movie not how to just get a reaction out of a horror sequence and a horror aspect of a movie they know how to build the tension with the film with their performances Mm -hmm. and they know how to shape their facial yeah like literal like structure to kind of show case the character yeah. devaluing it's or not just that vers- it's not that versatility because i feel like horror movies like in like and maybe it's might be cliche to think that like oh you give them a script for a horror movie and you go okay all i need you to do is scream and then like die well, you know and it's so interesting because we're leaving now a period of horror films in the 2000s like the 2000 to 2010 where it was essentially asked of a woman in a horror film to be hot possibly naked and scream a lot yeah that's like really the texture of what the 2000s horror is that's not saying all of it is but if you look at a lot of the horror films that's like the blueprint that is the blueprint of like this is what our female protagonist should look like and then in the male perspective in the male counterpart that is like i need you to be like a dumb jock good-looking male that can like it that is likable or it's like everyone hates that everyone's okay with dying like stuff like that like you see in horror movies they need those classic tropes this is where you start seeing a little bit more of ethan hawk taking the reins and being like okay we're getting a respectable actor that's again not saying that there aren't respectable actors throughout the generations before there's a ton but it felt like blumhouse made the specific decision of like we're not going to cast a no name we're going to cast an oscar nominated actor in this and take some risk towards it but that's like something i feel like like horror studios should take away from this is that like I think acting like the story comes first in the directing, but the acting like needs to take precedence set like next before like you do all the sound design and you do all that kind of stuff. I feel like you really have to get that down. Mm. And that's something that Jordan Peele has done 
amazing. Really, really good. He it's, casts the best actors. He's casting the best people to portray his vision. He's not just casting anybody that he thinks would be like, oh, yeah, that person would do this role of service, you know? Mm, like, agreed. who's going to go above and beyond in the role? Yeah. The, the lesson that the studios will take away. Ethan Hawke will be in every horror movie made now. Every studio executive, I bet you, after Sinister and then seeing the run he does with like The Purge and all those other films, they were like, like this yeah. guy, if we need a horror film he's to the open, guy. he's the guy we get. Yeah. And if we don't get him, we get someone who acts like Ethan Hawke. Yeah, okay. I think that's the will takeaway. That is the ignorant, just like seeing success and just being like, we're not going to make our own type of actor or give our own type of uh, performers. We are going to get an Ethan Hawke stereotype. Yep. Uh, so that's my will takeaway. Did you have a will takeaway? I, I would say damn near the same exact thing. Okay, I think perfect. that Ethan Hawke steals the movie with besides the directing, and that like every 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 director that's out there making a new maybe standalone horror film or is making a new production should be like how can i get an ethan hawk style character in their role and their main yeah. role in the movie perfect that's what i like they would say yeah next category yeah. is movie pairings this is the one that if you're yeah. watching like these type of movies what are yeah. other films you have i'm just gonna throw three sure. out there Go real quick it. we've mentioned two of them already one of them's the ring natural fitting definitely if you like kind of the eight millimeter camera filmmaking that's mm -hmm. seen in this one if you like that kind of videotape vhs aesthetic the ring definitely has that hereditary here's my thing if you do not like sinister you will not like hereditary yeah it is stepping stone if this is a film that you're like this is the scariest film i've ever seen hereditary will frighten the living crap out of you you like i'm not saying like if you like sinister you'll like hereditary but i do think if you like the style of sinister I think you could like the style of Hereditary. Yeah. And finally, I put a movie that came out this year that I think has some of those same elements, specifically with the kind of haunted house element. Studio movie called Studio 666, which is the Foo Fighters. Oh, the, yeah. That's that yeah, movie, yeah, the, the one Foo that came Fighters. out last year. Yeah. Uh, I think that has a little bit of the same elements, a little bit more comedic in tone. So I think it's a kind of a good palate cleanser to this, but still gives you some of the horror tropes. Yeah. That if you liked in Sinister, I think you'll yeah, like in that. So those say, are my movie pairs. Yeah, I would say Hereditary was the first one that came to mind. I 100% agree with that. I feel like it's got some of those really disturbing images, a disturbing style of filmmaking that like, if you don't like this movie, you won't like that one. But if you love this movie, you will love that one. The other one for me was um, was Us. Uh, when I think of us, I think of the acting more than anything else because Lupita Nyong'o got fucking snubbed. Mm. Snubbed for everything. Ethan Hawke probably, granted in 2012, there probably was a lot of really good movies that year, so I'm okay with him not yeah, getting nominated. Yeah, I don't think he, I don't think anyone he just, doesn't get in that uh, year. Yeah, I don't think anyone was upset about that. He's a good actor, but yeah, not great, that great, level. Great, great portrayal of the role. Really good actor. Yeah, he's and, not Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, no, no, no. Ab absolutely, yeah. But the thing is that, like, to, for me, the acting was really good on that end. And then, like, if you want really good acting in a horror movie to go along with these, you you watch us. You mm -hmm. watch us for like the directing and the acting. Those are two things that stand out in us for me. Um, and then the third one, if I'm making a little bit of a stretch, I'd probably say Zodiac, just because Zodiac is such an encapturing movie. From what I've been told, granted, I, I it's on me. I haven't seen it yet, but I know a lot about the movie. Yeah, and I and know we're and Sacramento, so we know the yeah, Zodiac and story exactly. Well. And I know that one, it's some of the best directing in a suspense thriller ever. And it's also one of the best stories and some of the best acting. So I feel like that 
like is a recipe for success in a movie. So, and granted, I'm sure that does way better than Sinister in that aspect, mm. but Sinister has like, it has glimpses of that. Wish it had done it more though. You Agreed. Know? I agree completely. Interesting you put Zodiac without seeing it on there, but I, mean, I, I like I like you know, it. I, 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 We're going to see it soon. You know, if anything, I want it to drive me to see it more. That's fair. If anything, this movie probably go see, does. Go see Zodiac. It's oh, I will. Uh, that's it. So now let's get into our last part of it, which okay, is cool. the review rating, which is what do you give what this film? The, wait, didn't you have another question you wanted to go to? You oh, to do that's the, just the, the debate end, question? That's the end-end segment. Sure. This All is right. just to add, cap the discussion okay. on Sinister. What's your rating for this film? You can do however you do ratings. I do it on a four yeah, star if so you want to do go, whatever you do. I'm it. gonna go out of ten. Okay. Um I would give this movie probably a in a if I'm thinking horror movies alone, for me, I'm giving this probably a seven. Okay. Or a six and a half. It's one of the two. If I'm thinking of a movie on a full bigger scale, I would probably lean towards more of a six on this scale, but I would lean generally positive in my review on this one. I do think that this movie had much more going for it versus what brought it down. I would, like, I would I, lean towards maybe six or six and a half. I think I'm at two out of four stars, which means I so you're am... closer to like a five out of ten? It means I'm mixed on the movie, but a little bit running more negative on the movie. Mm -hmm. So there's elements of it I like, but it doesn't all come together. I give it the true because there is some really good filmmaking within it. But as a film, like I said, it it comes together really close, but it never hits it. I think you're right. Had that ending, like had they explored it a little bit more with the daughter throughout, and it doesn't come just as like that surprise kind yeah. of towards the end. Yeah. I think the ending would be enough to push it for a two and a half, but there is just a little bit of the yeah. criticism there mixed with everything else that I said that I can't get it to a positive review, but it's pretty close. Yeah. So it's a mixed I, review leaning negative. Yeah. And the thing is too, is that like one thing you gotta remember too, is like part of the, re I think for me personally, part of the reason why I'd maybe lean a little bit more positive on it is because this, for how small this budget was, they did really well with what they were given and had they get doubled the budget i'm sure they could have done way more and i'm sure they could have done crazy film angles and they yeah. could have gotten better actors and better actresses but i'm sure and so there's obviously there i like, am subconsciously thinking about that yeah but i do lean generally positive so we have kind of similar standpoints yeah kind of a bit we're on you know? like the same like we're in the same zone yeah you lean more positive i lean a little more negative i do it. think the i think we both agree though the directing is like we Directing Ethan Hawke as the best best thing of this movie. Best thing yeah, this movie has been for it. So with that all said, that is our discussion on mm -hmm. Sinister, which leads us to our natural conclusion of the show, which is a segment I like to call The Great Debate. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that welcome one on your podcast to before. The Great Debate, where we have a question prep for each other. We're going to ask us the questions. We're going to see who has the answers. So I will ask you a question. I also have my answer for the question I ask you, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how we're going to end the show. So I will start first this week so you can kind of get an idea of it. So my question for you this week is based on the movie Sinister, which movie character, and let me say you can choose any movie character from any film, is best equipped to help you defeat Bagel, who is the antagonist within Sinister? That oh god, that's a great question. Yeah, any movie, any movie character, <laughs> any movie character, best equipped to help um, you defeat Bagel, if that's how their name is pronounced. Dude, I don't even know what I'd pick. Um, I would probably lean. Oh god, that's a great fucking question. 
I don't, I don't even know if I have like a definitive answer to that question. So you're saying who would I pick to beat? Defeat yeah, the if t- you picture? found out this was happening in your house, which movie character are you calling to like? The first you? one that comes to mind immediately in just based off of like movies and who I think would like help me immediately or who could help me is the the older lady in Insidious, the one that like can speak to the paranormal, the one that like can read different rooms and read what's going on. I felt like she would have just gotten me in a direction to like help my, help my family and help myself immediately. And also she's just very knowledgeable about everything paranormal, everything in like the, in in an insidious term. Mm -hmm. That's the first one that comes to mind, but I've been thinking a little bit more on the playful side, like someone that like, would just beat the fuck out of sinister. I feel like I would probably pick black Panther just because like, I just like think he's so badass. Yeah. And I just would just like, I think that would, that would just, he'd just kill him immediately. I don't know. I think I have a few answers. Mm-hmm. My real answer is probably leaning towards the main priest in the exorcist. Mm-hmm. The issue is this is pagan. That's Catholicism. Sure. So like maybe there's like some conflicting things there and I don't know how that would all work out. So that might be an issue. I'm not sure if I it might will change be. my answer in a sec. Uh, Hubie. Hubie Halloween. He he has that energy. I thought about just saying Happy Gilmore, just beating the crap out of a ghost or a demon. But I think if I'm like mixing the two, like which ones would be the most helpful? How do I not go the Ghostbusters? Yeah. That's kind of their job. I get like this isn't necessarily a ghost, Mm -hmm. but I think they've worked in the same ballpark that I'd have to say that the Ghostbusters guys are at the very least equipped to help yeah. you maybe not defeat it itself but equipped to help sure you know what i'm gonna pick i'm gonna change my answer okay. to uh uh to john wick, john wick. <laughs> nah, that's that's actually not a bad answer no, because uh if i'm right i believe the term bagel or boggle or whatever it is from sinister is another word for the boogeyman mm-hmm. and of course John Wick is the guy you call to kill the effing boogeyman. So mm-hmm. it's not a bad pick. Yeah, I think uh-huh. I think these are all reasonable people to yeah. help you uh, defeat it. So I, I like it. Okay. Uh, what's your question, sir? All right. My question for you is a little bit more on the funnier side. Uh, it has to do with who would you recast to play the cop? Play, <laughs> play, uh, Deputy Soso? Deputy Soso who in this movie. You could do Deputy you can pick Soso. whoever the fuck you want to make this movie better. Ah, Deputy Soso. Who is the actor who gets to play Deputy Soso? You need someone who's a little bit more comedic. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like you need a comedic guy. I know exactly who I'm picking. <laughs> There's a few. You know who would do it? He'd be such a sore thumb please, in the movie. Please say it. He'd be such, and he would stand out so weird. That's okay, just say it. John Mulaney. Damn it. Can you imagine John Mulaney just sitting there like... So, you have a squirrel in your head. (laughs) Just sitting there with the squirrel. You got squirrels. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking like, I'm like, John Mulaney, Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr. Which three am I going? Oh, okay. And then I'm just like, John Mulaney would just be such like a unique, like odd looking guy in the movie. Who's your pick? Jason Bateman. I think <laughs> That's Jason really Bateman is the perfect pick. Extremely comedic, can be very serious in his roles, and j- I can see him be like, "You got squirrels." <laughs> you know who I could see? Jason Sudeikis, Jackson in particular. Oh, absolutely. Oh, he Sudeikis could do it with the, with the mustache. I almost feel like Bateman could play Ethan Hawke in this movie. Yeah. Oh, I think absolutely. He could. Oh, hundred percent. And I think like you just bring in like, no, you know who'd be perfect? Huh. Nick, uh, not Nick Offerman. Sorry. Nick Kroll? Uh, not Nick Kroll. What is his name? 
Danny McBride. Danny McBride. Just imagine Danny McBride coming in there, just having this whole monologue about squirrels. It's just like squirrels in the attic, eh? and just like looks down and like squirrel. It's just like I'm a huge fan, by the way. Like kind of the whole thing he does with Emma Watson in this is yeah. the end. Where yeah. He's just like I've read all your books, like. <laughs> <laughs> and like just overzealous Colin Ethan Hawk's character, just like, mm-hmm. hey man, just like you want to grab a beer and I can tell you about the word. No, no, okay, okay. I think go. I think the worst person. Well, who'd be the worst person to pick in that role? Somebody who'd be just like, terrible to pick. I got someone re- who just like I think yeah. a really bad pick would be like in someone that's just in too many movies right now is Chris Pratt. I feel like Chris Pratt would be the worst person to have in that movie. Like it's I just not a good I, pick. I don't see I don't I don't see him as uh, that role. Another one is Aziz Ansari. I, I think <laughs> he would be terrible at that. I'd be so annoyed if he was in that Hey, role. guys. Tom <laughs> <Come> have heard. <laughs> you got squirrels. <laughs> it'd be really funny, really funny, but it would take away from the movie. Who would be the worst? Just like you're watching the film and you're just like, what the heck are know. they doing in this film? Aziz Ansari is a great answer. Like a great answer. Thank you. Oh, I don't know if I could come up with a better answer than Aziz. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, you know, I don't know. Who would be just like that guy who's just like Rob Schneider? <laughs> Rob Schneider coming in there, like, hey, I'm Rob Schneider. <laughs> it's like him in the role with uh, him in. No, Pink actually, Space. no. Sorry, I got the worst. It'd be the the Rock. He'd be terrible. Could you imagine the Rock just like coming in squirrels? Eh? <laughs> just. Kevin Hart would also be really bad. Any of those like mainstream actors right now would someone be really bad. Someone who's just too distracting. Like The Rock is that, but yeah, you could. You know who'd be awesome? John Cena. John Cena would be awesome in that role. Really? I think he'd be terrible. No, I love John Cena. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, your answer of Aziz Ansari. Hey, <laughs> terrible. You could go the guy who plays Sonic, who voices Sonic. Yeah. Do you, do you think the guy who'd be who's in Game Night that plays the cop in Game Night would be good in it? He'd be way too creepy. Yeah, he would be. He'd be like way be, too intense. You think about he's it. in on the sinister shit? Yeah, you would. You would totally. But yeah, Aziz Ansari is the answer. 100%. Aziz Ansari is definitely yeah. the answer. Good, good With question. that all said, that's our discussion on sinister. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about the movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I'm really excited for the fact that the NBA draft is now happening in less than two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. We will be knowing our guys soon. Yeah. Uh, with that all said, thank you, Chris, for joining me. Thanks for having me. Uh, I have a feeling you'll be back on sometime in July. I have to talk to you about uh, the episode, but uh, we'll be having you on back soon enough. You know, are you gonna do? Uh, are you gonna do like a review of like The Voice or like Obi Wan or anything? Have you thought about that? Because you should get Josh uh, on here for Obi Wan. I don't know if you thought about that. I've but been thinking about doing Obi Wan. The, the Voice been... would be good, or you can do, even when they announce the new Invincible season, you can do a season. Of, you can do a I've review been, of the first season. Of Invincible. I've been thinking about getting into TV a little bit more. I have my Barry review recorded i just started watching Barry. oh did you how far are you fifth episode of the first season you're already that far it's so good okay i love it i will talk about that afterwards but watch barry it's yeah. so good okay yeah it's, it's really, really good, good. it's a HBO really good show no you're all fine with that all said thank you guys for listening my name is ben friedman here from ben and brand see a movie thank you for listening take care bye bye go kings <laughs>